Father, indeed, how steadfast your strong hands are in keeping each one of us so that nothing can snatch us out of your hands. For that fact alone, Lord, we are thankful. And our lifetime on this side of heaven will not be sufficient to express our gratitude to what you have done to us on the cross. The good shepherd who laid down his life for each one of us. And now, Lord, as we open your words, we pray that you speak to us powerfully through your word, beyond the voice of man, so that we are encouraged and built up in our faith and love you even more. And we ask this in Jesus Christ. Amen. We remain standing for the reading of God's word on which the sermon today is based. It's taken from John, um, John's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 22 through to verse 30. Here is the word of God. At the time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Friends, we are in the middle of a long series this year from the Gospel of John. It's called Come and See Jesus, and we come to this uh, tail end of chapter 10, where we're going to look at this important teaching from Jesus on the preservation of the saints. Now, we are, those of us who are believers, we are called the saints. And it's not because we are holy or holier than other people. We are called the saints because as Martin Luther said, we were sinners who have been called and forgiven by Christ. And that's why we are saints on the one hand, and yet we are simultaneously sinners still on this side of heaven. So we are justified sinners, i.e. we are saints, right? So that's why I'm using the word saints here in uh, alignment with what the apostles uh, wrote and what the church fathers have written over the years. But I want to focus on this text that we just read before uh, and, and look at three headings. The first one, the first thing that we're going to look at is that Jesus teaches us that only the saints, only those who are elected to be believers would believe him. That's uh, number one. So let's uh, go to the next slide, and you will see 
um, I put the, the, the verses that are relevant. But let me just um, look at the few verses uh, prior to this one. When the, we read verse 22, that was already a few months, at least a couple months, after what we have seen in John 7, verse 1, up to John 10, 21. So that four chapters is actually one incident, right? But when we move to verse 22, at least a couple months have gone by, and now we found Jesus in the phase of dedication, what we call today Hanukkah, right? The festival of lights, because the lightings of lamps and candles in Jewish homes were done at the time to celebrate the feast, to celebrate their um, deliverance from Egypt. And that's what uh, they did. So the Jews, the religious leaders were asking Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, they are saying to Jesus, how long are you going to annoy us? How long will you keep us hanging in the air? Just say to us plainly who you are. And Jesus essentially answered them by saying that I have told you numerous times who I am. In fact, we have seen that um, statement from Jesus that he is the son of God. Right? But he, uh, he kept um, giving them answers. And now in verse 25 and 26, he answered them again, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And then pay attention to verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Friends, I want you to notice the order by which Jesus said those, uh, those things. He does not say, you are not among my sheep because you do not believe. That's not what he said. It's actually the other way around. He says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. In other words, he's saying, the reason why these Jewish leaders did not believe Jesus was because they were not among his sheep. The reason they did not understand his words or did not, did not accept his works was because they were not his sheep. They were not the ones that the Father has given to the Son. And then Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So his own sheep do hear his voice, and Jesus knows them, and they follow Jesus. But on the contrary, these leaders are not his sheep because they do not hear his voice, and he does not know them. Jesus does not know them, and therefore, they do not follow Jesus. The saints who believe are among his sheep. They choose to obey his voice rather than the voices of the world or the whispering of their own hearts. So this morning I want to ask you, are you among his sheep? Because if you do believe Jesus, then obviously you are part of his sheep. Notice the word or the verb believe in that active voice. It indicates that this disbelief 
by the Jewish leaders was a decision of their will. It reflects their volitional choice. The first half of uh, that verse, if you notice up there on the screen, is a picture of free will. You do not believe. It's because they chose not to believe. But the second part of that passage is God's sovereignty in salvation. You are not among my sheep. So that they are not Jesus' sheep does not excuse them. It indicts them. It renders them guilty because of their conscious choice not to believe. That failure to believe, that open hostility is their sin. And for that, they were fully responsible. Yet on the other hand, these religious leaders were not of the elect. They were not predestined. Jesus said in John 8, 43, that they were the children of the devil in spirit and conduct. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. So here is a summary statement so far in the next slide. From human point of view, we become his sheep by believing Christ. And that's our volitional choice. However, from God's point of view, we believe because we are his sheep. Now, this is a mystery that we cannot fully understand or explain, but we should accept that and we should be rejoicing because the Bible teaches both truth simultaneously. This is the mysterious paradox of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. While it's very difficult for our minds to grasp, the Bible teaches both. So when somebody called Donald Gray um, Barnhouse, a famous theologian, tried to explain this difficult truth, he used this analogy to help us understand um, our election as part of his, uh, Jesus' sheep. So he asked us to imagine, if you look at the, first, uh, the next slide, there's a door at the foot of the cross, right? When you enter that door, you will see over that uh, big door, there were these words from the book of Revelation, whosoever will may come. So on the one side of that door, as you enter, you will read that inscription, whosoever will may come. But once you enter that door, and you glance back and you, you will see another inscription on the other side of the door that says, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So friends, that's why when you came to Christ for the first time, you may not understand the doctrine of election. You may not understand the doctrine of salvation. It does not matter. What matters is, you come and respond to the calling of your shepherd, your true shepherd. And only then, as you look back of your conversion experience, you, are, you understand that you were elected before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I have enabled you to believe. So that's my first point. Only the saints 
do believe. The second point that we can learn from this verse is, uh, the, no, the next slide, the saints will persevere to the end. Verse 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now what Jesus said in these verses is painstakingly clear. It's abundantly clear. No one will snatch his people out of his hands. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are unsnatchable people. Imagine playing tug of war with a four-year-old, like I did with uh, my son, Calvin, when he was uh, very little. Calvin against my thumb. And not surprisingly, no matter how hard he pulled and pulled and panted, my thumb, you know, always won. He just couldn't understand that my three-inch thumb was attached to a 70-kilogram uh, body. No matter how hard he tried, his 20-kilogram body never could win. Now, this contest were of, uh, was obviously a picture of how we usually react to Jesus. Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand, yet we, Christians, we, we, we often play snatch. We, we found that our 20-kilogram sin has a hold on us, and we are so terrified that because of our sins, because of our disobedience uh, to God, it will snatch us out of God's hand, and we then lose eternal life. But friends, listen again to what Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. We must thank God against the teaching, and there are many churches today that teach you can lose your salvation if you commit a serious sin, and if you die before you repent, before you being restored to a state of grace, you will go to hell. And many good Christians conclude that people can fully and finally away from grace. But today, what we see from Jesus, what we learn from that statement, is that doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or more appropriately, the preservation of the saints, that our salvation is permanent. No one can cancel it. No one can change what God has done to us in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of biblical verses that support that, but here is one from the Gospel of John that we looked at a few months ago. The next slide, John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whosoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus will raise us up from the dead with new body. That's what he promised, and that's why we will never lose our salvation. The church fathers, 
echoed this truth faithfully in this document in the 17th century called the Westminster Confession of Faith that we, as part of the Presbyterian Church in Australia, subscribes to. And here is the relevant uh, chapter, uh, Westminster's Confession of Faith. Um, chapter 17, Article 1. They whom God had accepted in his beloved, in Christ Jesus, effectually, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally safe. What it means is this. It is impossible for the elect to fully and finally fall away from the state of grace. It is possible, however, for the believers to experience a serious and radical fall. Let me make that uh, more personal. I have been involved in uh, the Christian ministry here at ICC and even before that. Not long after I converted to Christ, around 33 years ago, and during those years, I've known a few individuals who used to be exemplary Christians. And in fact, some of them taught me how to understand my relationship with God. But then something happened. Something happened to them. They cut themselves off from both the church and their previous circle of Christian friends. And what makes me sad is uh, many of them, some of them at least, were names that I still remember um, so well at ICC. These are some of my hardest moments in ministry to see that people who are or who used to be gospel partners, we serve together on Sundays and other days at ICC, and now they stop going to church, they stop serving Christ. Now, did they lose their salvation? I don't know. I do not know for sure, but as someone who believes in this doctrine of the preservation of the saints, I have two answers in explaining what just happened to their lives. So there are two possibilities. In the next slide, you will see there are only two options, two possibilities. There is no option C, all right? Do you want to know what the options are? Well, even if you don't, I will tell you anyway, right? The first option is that they had never been a person of faith from the beginning. Their profession of faith was not genuine in the first place. They confessed with their mouths what they believe. Um, they gave some outward signs of conversion. They might read the Bible. They gave offering. They get involved in ministry. They even become church leaders but their conversion was not genuine. They like the seed that fell in shallow soil and sprang up quickly, then withered and died. The seed never really took root. They honored Christ with their lips, but their hearts were far, were far from him. That's the first option, the first possibility. The second one, the second possible explanation why these people who are so active or used to be active they left the church and they left 
God himself. The second possible explanation is that they had true faith. They are true believers, but they have fallen into serious sins, into radical sins. But one day, they would repent of their sins, and their faith would resurface again. When? Sometime in the future. And they will be restored before they die. So those are the two possibilities. Those are the two options. There's no option C. Now, a lot of people think that it's, there is another option, and that is they had true faith, and then they lost that faith completely. Friends, that's not even possible because Jesus said no one can snatch them out of my hand. We may fall into serious sins, but we never will fall out of grace. And if you have been Christians for a while, you might be asking this question, what about Judas, right? The beloved Judas. What about him? We know that Judas was not a case of apostasy, but a case of someone who never was safe from the beginning. Now, how can I say that? Let's look at the next, uh, the next uh, um, slide. In John 17, 12, we read this. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. This is Jesus' priestly prayer. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who was that son of destruction? none other than Judas. Judas was a son of destruction from the beginning, and that's why his faith was fake. It was not a saving faith, because those who are truly believers cannot be snatched from the Father's hand. And that's why Reformed theology teaches that doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Another word for it is eternal security, and it at its core, the doctrine is telling us about the saving faith, and it can be summarized like this in the next slide. So if you forget anything else in the sermon, just remember this particular um, catchphrase, if you like, about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saint. If you have saving faith, you will never lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it. Can you remember that? If you do have saving faith, you will never lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it in the first place. Now, there are a few case studies from the Bible to help us appreciate this truth. The first case study was from the Old Testament, David. David was surely a man after God's own heart. He had the Spirit of God in him. He was a believer. He had a profound, passionate love for the things of God. And yet, this man committed adultery. And not only that, he was involved in a conspiracy to have his lover's husband killed 
in a war. Now that was a serious sin, wasn't it? But his repentance after the prophet Nathan rebuked him was also equally serious. And he was restored into the state of grace after his repentance. You can read that in Psalm 51. The second case study is from the New Testament, the apostle Peter. Peter publicly denied Jesus even after being warned by Jesus. He was swearing that he never knew him. That he, and that was a public betrayal of Christ. He committed high treason against the Lord. He fell from grace, but not completely and finally from the state of grace. Because we read in John 21, and next year we're going to uh, discuss that chapter, that is the chapter where we saw how Peter was restored back into the state of grace. And that's why from these two case studies in the Old and New Testament, we can say safely that Christians may fall into radical and serious sin, but they will never totally and finally fall from grace. Remember that old hymn that says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me out of his hands. So friends, the saints will persevere towards the end. That's my second point. The last one, what we can learn from today's text is that in the next slide, the saints persevere because God preserves them. See, perseverance of the saints is the phrase that the theologians uh, gave to um, summarize what the Bible teaches, but it can be misleading because if you focus on the perseverance, that means we, out of our strengths, out of our abilities and talents, we can persevere on our own, with our willpower, with our inner resolve, with our strenuous uh, efforts, right? But of, and of course, the saints do persevere in faith. But the reason, the reason why we could possibly continue on in the faith even until the last day is not because we have persevered, but because we have been preserved by God. Philippians 1, 6 Paul writes to the Philippians this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, God gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment to guarantee our salvation. He has given us the Holy Spirit to guarantee that He will finish the job. He will finish what He has started in us. The Holy Spirit then is God's pledge to bring our salvation to completion. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, you receive God's promise that He will bring you to perfection. And that's why we always say that the church is not the place for 
perfect people. We are imperfect people, but we are being perfected to be like Christ because we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment that God will finish his job. The second proof that he preserves us, the second assurance that he preserves us, that we're not going to lose our salvation is because Jesus is our great high priest who intercedes for us in heaven today. See, friends, we're going to celebrate Christmas in a, uh, in a few days. And Christmas is about the incarnation of Jesus who lived his life of perfect obedience and fulfilled all the demands of the law that we have failed to fulfill in our lives. He paid the price for our sins with his perfect atonement. But is that everything that we ever need, for, uh, need Jesus to do for us? No. He ascended to heaven, and he was seated at the right hand of God and the throne and, uh, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But what is he doing now? What is he doing in heaven? He continues to minister to us. He prays for us. He intercedes for us daily. Not just once a week. We go to church once a week. Maybe twice a week. Maybe we join Bible study group. But Jesus prays for us every single time. He prays for us so that we do not fall away. Not only did he pray for his disciples in John 17 that they would never be snatched out of God's hand, but he prays for you and me for our self, ultimate salvation that we would be preserved. And that's why we always say we cannot persevere without God's preserving power. His power is provided to us so that we can do the persevering. The gospel does not encourage you to be passive in your faith. The gospel calls you to actively persevere for the faith that you have been entrusted with. The grace that saves you is also the preserving grace that helps you persevere. What does it mean? Well, it means we have to learn to say no to temptations, we have to trust and obey God even though it's difficult. We have to learn to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Those are the things that we have to persevere towards. But the only reason why we can do that is because God preserves us. So preservation and perseverance, they go together. Perseverance is part of our sanctification process. It's a synergistic work. It's a cooperative effort between God and us. We persevere as God preserves us. Let me give you an analogy before we close. Um, in the next slide, you see a child and his father walking down a dangerous path while holding hands. And I learned this analogy from uh, either R.C. Pro or Richard Mao a long time ago. These are two ways in which they can hold hands, right? There are two ways. First, the child can grab his father's hand and hold on tightly, and if he lets go, he may fail. 
But the second way to look at it is that the father holds the child's hand, and only if the father loosens his grip can the child fall. Now, in the first instance, the child's safety depends on the consistency and firmness by which he clings to his father. But in the second instance, the child's safety depends on the consistency and firmness by which the father clings to him. And even though God is holding on to us, we are to hold on to him as well. We are capable of losing our grip, and indeed we do so from time to time as we move away from God and do our own things in rebellion to him. But we have that responsibility to hold on as tightly as we can to the hands of God, even though we are sure he will not let us go. We can fall from grace, but not absolutely, not finally. So to close this sermon, I would like to revisit the life story of Judas and Peter again. See, both men, they betrayed Christ. But notice this, one was a believer, the other one was not a believer. Both their, uh, of their actions were absolutely shocking, total betrayal of Christ, one denied Christ, one sold Christ to the enemy, but both were predicted to Christ, uh, by Christ. But here is the difference. You see the next slide? Jesus predicted that these men would do what they have done to him. But, but look at the difference. When he told Judas what he would do, he ended those comments by saying this in John 13, 27. What you have to do, do quickly. But when he made that prediction about Peter, this is what he said. Luke 22, 31, 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see that? When you have turned, not if you have turned, as if Jesus is not sure whether he would or he would not turn. But Jesus said, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, friends, that's the difference. That's what Jesus meant when he said, none, no one can snatch my people out of my hands. The eternal security of our salvation is not in our ability to persevere, but in the power of Christ that preserves us. There's an old uh, lady in a village in Scotland who was frail and perhaps did not have a long uh, life anymore. But there was a young man who cared for her on a regular basis, visiting her praying for her, and so on. And one day, this young man asked this lady, suppose that after your long life of serving God and all of your praying and trusting, and I suppose when you die, what if God sent you to hell to suffer in hell forever? And then that old lady replied, if that were to happen, God would lose more than I would lose 
I would lose my soul, which would indeed be terrible, she said. But God would lose his honor. He has made precious promises to me, and if he should fail to be faithful to his promises, his word would be proven untrue, and the universe would end up in ruins. See, this is about God's name, God's honor at stake. And that's why, friends, he preserves us till the end. Would you respond to him accordingly? Even if you are not yet believers today. I want to put up again the last slide which I showed you last week. Jesus left his 99 sheep so that he can seek and save that one sheep that has gone away. And you may be that sheep today. If you're not sure whether you are a Christian, you need to know that Jesus is the good shepherd who came for his sheep, who died for his sheep. He was abandoned so that you can have the abundant life. The life that is filled with supernatural love, joy, peace to those who trust him. He gives eternal life and you will never perish and no one can snatch you out of his hands. And if you hear the calling of Jesus this morning to follow him, do not harden your hearts, follow his voice and come to him. Some of you may have been Christians for so long and currently you are falling into serious sins, radical sins. Maybe it has been so for months or even years. But if you are truly among his sheep, if you are a believer, you will never fall away completely from grace. And the strongest indicator that you are his sheep is that you return to Christ this morning in repentance and faith. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the power of Christ preserves us, that we are enabled and empowered to persevere in our faith. We thank you that the hand of Christ is beneath us and the hand of the Father is above us. And thus we are secured between the grip of the omnipotence. And we thank uh, you for all the things that you have in store for us as we persevere to follow you and to obey you till the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.